Well, tell me about the waggle dance. Give me the short version. Uh, it's about the the dance the bees use to tell each other where stuff is and how they teach it to each other. Okay, that is pretty good. Can lead to discussion about are bees teaching each other, and is what even is that? Is it education? Should bee teachers be unionizing as well? Should we give bee teachers guns? Well, now that we've exhausted that topic, let's do food byproducts. <laughs> Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Alex. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Shannon, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Nope. Alex, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? You know who I am. No. <laughs> you have been on the show before, so people. I'll, I'll just paste in what you said last time. <laughs> is it for like quadruple lords or whatever? Oh, way more than that. Oh, nice. We have Lord Awards. We are Lords upon Lords. You you are. You do. The Lord of Lords. So you two got married in the t- in the time since you were last on the show. Uh, yes, we've joined our households, uh, our lordships. So now we are mega lords uh, ruling over broad swaths of topics. And how's that going for you? It's like, you know, in Power Rangers when they do the big combined thing. Yeah. That's us all the time. Yeah. Are you beating up Goldar? We've already taken care. Can't believe I remembered a. I remembered the name of a Power Rangers character. <laughs> We're working on Rita Repulsa now. Okay, good. That's two. We do have two now. <laughs> yeah, we have these. Uh, we have these power rings that we each wear that match. Okay, we can all right. Activate them. Power of hugs. It's great. Oh, I thought you were going to punch each other in the fist, and then the rings would touch and. We we got out of that habit after the engagement ring, which has a big rock on it. That doesn't work very well. And then you, yeah, you punch each other in the face instead. I was clever. I got him a very smooth engagement ring, so it would hurt less. You <laughs> <laughs> must still be taller than the one I got with the rock on it. <laughs> Are we ready to start on some topics? Let's do it. Yeah, uh, Shannon, your topic is tree law. 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 This is going to be so out of sync. <laughs> um, tree law. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been coming up in the news a bit. So I've been thinking about it. I don't know. Maybe this isn't the case in other um, professions, but in certain professions, there's just like a niche category of the profession that is unusually interesting. And for law, I think that is tree law. Like, you expect constitutional law to be interesting, and it is, or criminal law, and it kind of isn't in some ways. But tree law, I don't know, it just sounds boring and straightforward, but it usually isn't. And people should be warned not to cut down trees without thinking about what you're actually doing, because you probably are going to have to pay a lot more money than you think you're going to have to pay. You're going to pay damages to the tree's family? No, but you do often have to replace the trees, uh, and usually, to some extent, to the condition that they were in. Uh, So if you have cut down a very large tree, that's quite challenging. That's just going to, you just have to wait. Well, uh, like, I don't know, I saw one where some guy cut down some mature trees and uh, he was required to 
replant them, but also water them and maintain them for, uh, I think, a minimum of two years. So Okay. That doesn't sound so bad. I'll cut down all the trees. I mean, it was bad for this guy because the only way he could replant those trees, uh, since he was on a steep mountainside, was to build an entire road to access the land to do the replanting, and only one contractor would agree to it, and it was going to cost him $1.5 million just to do the planting. That's on top of the fine per tree, which is... How did he get to the tree to cut it down? Um, I'm guessing that he cut it off at fence level over the fence rather than in the ground. Okay. But the reason this has come up in the news recently is actually because of the SAG-AFTRA strike. Am I saying that right? The actors and writers are on strike. And one of the things I believe outside of Universal was that they cut all the trees back really sharply over the area of the sidewalk where the strikers were striking picket line yeah i saw a picture of that yeah Yeah. right before like some 90 degree weather days so pretty clearly trying to just remove the shade for the picketers um which is you know a dick move yeah but but was it also illegal uh yes it turns out uh immediately people well pretty much right away the picketers complained that they just did this to cause stress to the picketers and they wrote universal about it and universal wrote back that oh it had nothing to do with you it's just an annual thing that we do and immediately a bunch of arborists jumped in and said a you would never trim a tree in the summertime in the hottest time of the year that's just totally going to expose them to diseases and various things also that isn't the type of that isn't the way you would trim back an annual tree trimming the only trees that do that are trees that require pollarding and it should look like this and three, this type of tree is like, you're only supposed to do any trimming to it and not this severe every like decade or so. So they've basically probably killed the trees with the way that they were cut. So not only did they lie about it, but they probably killed the trees. They kill the trees every year, annually. Annually. Nothing to do with the Nothing the to do with it. Well, yeah, sorry. totally unrelated to the strike in any way. Uh, And then somebody swooped in and said, also, those trees are on city property. They don't actually belong to the company. Um, And so somebody dug into it and checked to see if they had a permit to do tree trimming, and they absolutely did not. So they have probably killed uh, some, I can't remember. It's quite a few trees, though. Like, it's a whole street lined with these mature trees um, that have been there for decades. There's a number of lawyers very excited about the uh, replacement costs of these trees. But I think the reason people get so excited about tree law is that 99% of the time it's petty, wealthy asshole cuts somebody else's tree badly and then has to pay out the ass for being a petty, wealthy asshole who is selfish and wants their own view or whatever. Right. And that's why tree law is great. It's, it's, It's nice when it works out like that. I think that's the thing is tree law is almost always that way. And even when it isn't, like even if it's, you know, not a wealthy person being petty, it's still like, hey, don't don't cut down a bunch of trees. We like trees. People like trees. So it's one of those areas of law where as a lawyer, you can be pretty aggressive and dickish about how much money you're trying to squeeze out of the person Mm -hmm. uh, and not feel too bad about it and also the public doesn't look too badly on you about it because i mean 
there is a huge stereotype that lawyers are only in it for the money. This is one of the few things where lawyers, yes, are absolutely in it for the money, but people are generally cheering them on in that regard in this right. one instance. Yeah. Have you played the the Hitman video games, the like the recent series starting in 2017? With the bald guy? With the bald guy. I've seen it a little bit. I played a little bit of it. Uh, one of the things that game does is that it's your job to kill these people, but they always give you people to kill who are just like, this, this guy's a dick. We, yeah. no, they're always extremely dislikable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I don't, I've never been a hitman, but I bet that's not the case a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet you have to kill people who are very likable and not the bad guy a lot of the time. That's a shame. I have been a lawyer and yeah, it's, it's a mixed bag. Right. That makes sense. <laughs> that was the same in uh what was the gate red uh dead red dead red red dead redemption 2 you were playing that recently and it was a similar vein where like most of the time you were going after someone who just kind of sucked so that you could feel better about it but that game didn't shy away from you as the main character sometimes screw over people who really don't deserve it and it was a very strange yeah. Like, I'm used to GTA and that sort of thing where you're playing as a criminal, but, like, the game goes kind of out of its way to make you feel okay about that. And Red Dead Redemption 2, at least, kind of didn't. There were definitely key parts where it, like, made you feel bad about what you were doing, and it still didn't really give you a choice not to do it. But then, notably, what they what they ended up doing was, I felt like... So there was one guy in the group that was, like, a loan shark. And I guess, spoilers, but, like... You end up sort of just vilifying the loan shark in your group and kicking him out. Like, your character takes this hard moral stance against that and only that. (laughs) Which is really weird because then he proceeds to also do a lot of stuff that is just as bad, if not worse, and acts like, oh, no, that's honorable thieving, but loan sharking is unacceptable. And I'm like... Why are we drawing the line here? Uh, this is video game protagonists, protagonists in a nutshell, though. Yeah. But going back to yeah, the the law thing, like you know, lawyers have this really bad reputation just in general that I think they're constantly sort of fighting against. And it's I don't know. I think it's nice to have something be public that shows people the ways in which even quote-unquote, money-grubbing lawyers can be really useful vehicles for, like, you know, making an issue prominent or going after people who are hurting other people. You know, it kind of showcases how lawyers can do good. Right. We saw a great lawyer ad when we were in Las Vegas last weekend. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I believe it said, injured while searching for bodies in Lake Mead. (laughs) Demand compensation. Yeah. Yeah, like you're driving around Vegas, right? And you see these signs like everywhere. Usually they just say injured or injured in a hotel or whatever. And this one was just so suspiciously specific. Yeah, that seems extremely, extremely specific. But it's very much just hardcore playing into the stereotype of you already see this billboard and you think, wow, what a sleazy money grubbing Vegas lawyer. So I'm just going to go really hard on that and think of what is the sleaziest kind of person I could represent. And that's right. what they came up with. 
Yeah. I think there's been a lot of people thinking about that in the context of the uh, Better Call Saul show. Oh, sure. I bet that makes people think about law a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's a good show. I like the show a lot. I think it's better than Breaking Bad. I think it's much better than Breaking Bad. And I, I, I like how it portrays lawyers in general, despite the fact that the main character lawyer is a sleazebag. <laughs> you know. Well, he was a sleazebag before he was a lawyer, so. That's true. That's true. You can't blame it on the law. Yeah. Are we ready for another topic? Sure. sure. Alex, your topic is Tax Haven 3000. Yeah, so this was way more topical when I put it on the list like three months ago. Yeah, I remember this, though. It's still pretty good. Yeah, so this is like a, a a visual novel kind of a dating game, and the whole deal is you're going out with this cute anime girl who's really into helping you prepare your taxes. Right. And she'll actually like ask you questions like, "Oh, Teehee, I it would I really would love to get your social security number." And at the end, if you play through this game, it actually prepares your real life taxes for you. And I just thought that was so delightful. I thought you were going to say it actually steals your identity and defrauds you of uh, all of your money. <laughs> you know, maybe that's that's the bad end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Your identity got stolen. Oh, no. She's off dating your other identity. <laughs> Sad <laughs> midi plays. <laughs> yeah. Uh I was reading about this. I read that it was so. This was made by a, an art collective called Mischief, M S C H F. Okay, and they've got a bunch of shit like this. Really? Like, for example, here's a project called Key for All. So they are selling thousands of, and the, the, the keys are sold out now. But they're selling thousands of keys that all open a car, and if you find the car, you can drive it. <laughs> well. Can you keep, do you own it or no, if, you need to drive it? If you park the car, then the next person who finds it can drive it. Okay. Okay. You don't get to keep it. Yeah. Huh. How, and you find it with this game? Uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure. Let's see. There's a fact. How do I find the car? Call the key for all hotline at phone number for real time data on the car's location and speed. <laughs> Okay, I thought it was just speed. Uh, speed and heading. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I was saying they, they should just have whoever last used it needs to post a picture of the car in its parking spot. Right. And you have to play um, GeoGuessr to reverse engineer and try to figure out the location of the car. It doesn't say what the make of the car is. Apparently, that's a secret. What? That would make it a lot easier if you knew that. So, I don't understand. How does this quite work within the context of the game? Or is the game going to find the car? This, is not, this isn't a video game. This is oh. just, they sell you key, like a key fob to open the car. Oh. Like, you go around pushing this button. This is real life. You go around pushing this button. And if you, if you open the car, then you get to drive it. Nice. What? Okay. But it does give you info on where the car. Yeah, if you if you call this hotline, also again in real life, you call a phone number, and it'll give you like I assume GPS coordinates and and speed. Huh. That's pretty good. Yeah. Is there a goal, or it's just the goal is to get a car to drive? What do you have to do to get the key fob? Oh, you pay. You pay for it. They bought this car, and then they turned around, made a bunch of keys for it. 
I bet they made a profit Maybe. by selling thousands of keys to the same car, one to each person. Yeah. How, so however much like a, a car costs divided by thousands is how much the key costs. But it's just one car. Is it in the continental U.S.? The spoilers. <laughs> I don't know. Call right, the number. I wonder if you can, if anybody can call the hotline. Uh, uh, I would is. love to know where the car is. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, they also made a product called WD-40 Cologne. Nice. So you can smell like WD-40 at any time. Nice. Okay. Is it just WD-40 in a spray bottle? I, I don't think WD-40 is healthy to have on your skin all day. Probably not. I presume that they reverse engineered the smell. Hmm. So if I... Okay, like, if I found this car, because you have to imagine if you actually successfully find the car, like, you've got to do something. you got to put it somewhere interesting. Right. Okay. So, like, I, I don't know. I would be inclined to, like, ship the car to Hawaii or something. That would be pretty rude. But the, I think the biggest problem is if you park it, you know, you're going to ship it to Hawaii and you arrange transportation and you park it in the lot of the shipping company, somebody's just going to come and take it before it gets on the boat. That's a possibility. You have to sit in the car the whole time. Okay. I think generally speaking, if you're trying to transfer cars in certain ways, you have to like show that you have title to the car, which presumably you don't. Presumably the company owns the car. I just kind of assumed this would be like GTA. And if you drive this car like under 10 miles an hour, somebody's just going <laughs> to run up to you with the key fob and rip you out the front door and start drive off in it. Right. This is this is entirely plausible to me. But remember, there are only thousands of keys, not millions. And most of those people probably have jobs. Yeah, that's the thing is, I don't I think it would be fairly difficult for somebody to actually get there and take it like because there's few enough. But I bet it's happened. I bet. Yeah. I mean, like, if you can just know the current location of the car at any time, like just wait until the middle of the night or whatever. And Somebody's probably not driving. I mean, you could park it in a really difficult to find location. I would just try to think of interesting places to park it for the next person. Just park it, park it in your garage on your personal property. Um. Well. Okay, that opens up some legal questions. Yeah. yeah. I have to. Is yeah. I mean, it's somebody can't come and take it from you. I mean, they maybe on your property. No. They would be trespassing. You can't do that. I mean, okay. Literally, I take somebody else's car and put it on my property. It's not like it's my car now. They they can't come and take it back. That's weird. Like literally, if you if you give your car to a repair shop, mm. you can't break in to take your car back. You can't enter their property without permission to take your own car back. This is like a, you know, a thing that has happened where usually it's like somebody, you know, gets repairs and then they refuse to pay and then the place says, well, then you can't have your car back. And then they try to break in over the fence and steal their car back. Like that is breaking and entering and it is, I'm pretty sure, considered theft in some context. I'm trying to remember the case law. But yeah, no, definitely if you took this car, like if you had this car and you were driving it, you took it out for a little loop and then you went and parked it back in your own garage, then nobody could really take it from you. Man, all right. You would just have a car. Ostensibly, somebody could be using this car as an actual like car for the purpose of 
using it. It's just you would have to only do it for like really brief errands so that you could get back home. Like <laughs> you would just have to not leave it any. I mean, it would just be a risk anytime you left it anywhere other than your house. But as yeah. or or no, here's what unless. you do. Unless so, say you want to use it to commute to work, right? Mm-hmm. And you have like a friend or know somebody, anybody nearby that you could park in their property, then you can do that. You could just drive to somebody else. Like, because as long as you're parking on somebody else's private property that they can't break into, you're good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you could totally permanently keep this car if you're only driving it in specific ways. It would be way easier to be just driving it to the auto shop and having them change the keys. <laughs> That is a good point. <laughs> but then, well. You'd just be banned from future mischief pranks. Aww. No, no. The question here is, is that stealing the car? <laughs> is that theft yeah, What, the what is the, the legal status of this car? Like, yeah. just because this website says it's a public universal car doesn't mean that has legal standing. Right. I mean, I assume that actually somebody has title to the car probably the title is in the name of the company i mean i guess that's the question is how do companies cars generally work right yeah my presumption is that typically you would have a company car that is that the company has title in the car and they just have authorized individuals who are allowed to drive it and in this case the authorized individuals are anybody who has one of these key fobs but typically if there's like a contract involved doing like you know if you worked for google or whatever and there was a company car, and you were authorized to drive it, that doesn't mean you're authorized to take it to the car shop and get a stick <laughs> paint job and change the keys and not let anybody else use it. You're not authorized to I'm, do that. I'm not authorized, but it's probably not illegal. It would, like, I you'd st- probably get fired. <laughs> I still think it might be, because it might be considered, oh, uh, what are the elements of theft? Come on. You had to rotate the pie, as opposed to... Yeah, don't rotate the donut. Don't rotate the donut. You have to rotate the pie. But I mean, I would argue that like like changing the keys might be rotating. You would be depriving the owner of whatever. I don't Mm -hmm. remember the term, right? So that seems like that. You'd be depriving the owner of access to their property, which I'm pretty sure is theft. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, I'm pretty sure if you did go and change the keys, you would be stealing the car. I think. Now, if you went and got a sick paint job... That would just be vandalism? (laughs) Well, unless there's, like, you know, a contract that says that you can do whatever you want with the car, like... That would be a pretty wild thing to do. If they sent out the keys, and literally all it said was, if you can find this car, you can drive it, then that's all you can do. Sure. That's all you have permission to do. Yeah, do you get fired for, like, repainting the company car? One way to find out. <laughs> well, I want to know what written materials came with this particular key. Because, like, if you are using a company car, like Google or whatever, I'm sure there's, like, a 50-page document that you have to sign that tells you all of the things you cannot do with the car. I'm sure. But in this case, what did they provide with the key? Like, what limitations on the use of the car did they provide? Probably something, if I were them. Did they hire a lawyer in order to... to... <laughs> they, I bet they did, actually. They probably did. Legal mischief. Yeah. That would have been so, a fun thing to write up. Yeah. <laughs> so another thing they did, just looking through the list here, they had uh, um, uh, everybody chips in $52, uh, and then everybody takes the SAT, and whoever gets the best score keeps the pot. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. Uh, there were there were apparently 519 participants. 
Okay. Uh, so the pod was like twenty six thousand dollars. Nice. Dang. Uh, there were two people who scored fifteen fifty. Nice. But the person who did it in an hour and fifty three minutes won. <laughs> Tiebreaker was time. All right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's I was fun. impressed. Honestly, they should just do that with students. They should just do that every year. That's no, they just idea. they just keep the money. Like the SAT board just keeps your money. They keep your entry fee. Right, but what if a portion of that they gave to like the best performing students? Wouldn't that really incentivize you? You get a cash prize if you do well on the SAT. Yeah, that's a good one. Mostly because I assume most of these people were, you know, adults and maybe stood out a little bit. Right. But whatever. Yeah. Well, this, so the problem with that idea is that rich people already do best on the SAT. Mm. So just well, they should give the money to the person who did worst on the SAT. That's fair. There you go. They should do that with the bar exam. Yeah. Whoever whoever is the least qualified lawyer just gets a one-time payout. <laughs> Honestly, whoever's the least qualified lawyer gets to take the bar exam again for free would be a great policy. <laughs> uh, they also made childrenscrusade.com, which looks like it could be ongoing, but probably isn't. If it's a project where you can type in any message and it will... Use a uh, like a, a robot hand to draw it in what looks like a child's handwriting and mail it to a senator. <laughs> okay, that's amazing. Do I get to choose which senator? I presume, but I... <laughs> what is the name of this group again? M S C H F. Pretty good. There is a there's a Wikipedia page, and you can just find a list of everything they did. That's a really good one, actually. The more I think about that, the more satisfying it is. Like <laughs> Things you could write. In a I mean, to be fair, I could also just write in a child's scrawl. Yes, but you wouldn't. That's the thing. That's what makes writing to your senator effective is that no one bothers to do it. Fair enough. That's really good. I'm into it. They probably don't want me to just like set up a text generator to make 5,000 messages an hour and have them just inundated with child's handwriting. And I assume but... you have to pay for each one of these. Maybe. I think mischief covers it, and that's probably why it's not an ongoing concern, yeah. is that they decided, like, okay, this th we made our point with this prank or whatever. You, I don't know if they call them pranks. Yeah. Prank lol. I think they call them drops. Okay, that's good. It is pretty good. These are really high-effort pranks. I'm into it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, me too. You gotta love a high-effort prank. Are we ready for another topic? I, I Apparently not. Is there a... I'm back to Tax Heaven 3000. Okay, all right. The the IRS was like trying to figure out if they could offer their own in-house tax preparation software. I wonder if they're going to like use this one for consideration as the official <laughs> IRS tax prep software. Maybe they should offer options. Like if you don't want to use the one that looks like H&R Block, you can use the one that looks like a visual novel. Yeah. <laughs> Gamify your tax prep. I am down. Anything that makes life harder for H&R Block. There you go. Uh, so my topic is, when I was a kid, I read about a magic trick where if you touch your index fingers together and cross your eyes, a disembodied third finger appears between them. Spooky. This is the kind of thing we had for entertainment in the 80s. So it, it has to be <laughs> horizontal. Like I'm, I'm, okay. I'm Oh, like this. Okay. Yeah. All of us have to do this now. Yeah. Like, everybody stop and... and yeah. I did do this once. Okay. Hold up. Do I have to have my glasses off? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Am I crossing my eyes to look and looking at the fingers? 
when you see the the Vienna sausage with knuckles, you're doing it right. <laughs> I don't. They should probably go in front of your eyes, not your nose. I don't know how to not look at my nose while I'm crossing my eyes. Maybe just defocus. Yeah, that's usually what. Ow, I this hurts. I don't like it. <laughs> okay, well, just imagine that you saw a third finger. I'll imagine I saw a third finger. Focus on the far, like, beyond is easier. I remember it being the 90s at Christmas. I got one of those magic eye books. Yeah. And oh, I yeah. spent hours on that thing and then just had a splitting headache for like a day. <laughs> oh, no. Did you, did you ever see the thing? Oh, yeah. No, I was determined to find all of the things, which is why I spent hours looking at pages and pages you, and you succeeded oh yeah okay good okay so it wasn't just a splitting headache for a day for nothing no no i well oh yeah not for nothing for seeing a the shape of a vague horse you saw the dolphin i saw the dolphin do you think there's people of an age group that don't know what we're talking about oh yeah no nobody nobody under 30 knows what a magic eye is that is really I saw one just the other day. We did. We saw one at Omega Mart. We did. Yeah, and all the Zoomers were like, "What? what is this? This Is this just some modern art? Well, yeah, we just looked at it and I was like, I think that this is a magic eye. And I squinted and then I saw a spider. Oh, man, a, sp- a spider. That's like the, a jump scare in magic eye form. Well, to be fair, the product was called like... Absolutely, absolutely just spiders. Absolutely just spiders. <laughs> Okay. Then, if you read the fine text. So then it's a, it's your own lookout at that point. Yeah, like I knew it was gonna be a spider. Right. I was ready. Yeah. Magic eyes are weird. True fact. They are. You think that's why everybody wears glasses now? No, I think it's because we all learn to read. Oh. That This is my understanding, and that could be wrong, but this is, I read something that made me believe this, and now I believe it. Everybody looking at books so close to their face for their whole childhood is what fucks up everybody's eyes. Could be. I read something similar, but it also had to do with the amount of sunlight. You have to look at things far away, and you have to be exposed to natural light at the amount of sun brightness. So it was being indoors reading books. That's plausible to me. Simply does not contain spiders, is the full text, but... Oh. Does not contain is small. All right, so so I don't know. I don't know if any Zoomers listening to listen to this show... Hey, Zoomers. I feel like it's probably all people my age. Okay. You don't know that. I don't. I don't know that. Maybe someone is like listening to their dad listen to a podcast. There you go. And they're and they're really annoyed that everybody's talking about Magic Eye without explaining it. So Hey kid. <laughs> yeah. You want to hear about Magic Eye? This is for you, kid. Listen right. to your dad's podcast. Sorry. A Magic Eye is it, when you look at it, it looks like a bunch of visual noise. But if you cross your eyes, if you like defocus your eyes in a certain way, and the first time I did this, it took like over an hour. So it, it takes a lot of practice and like, it's not worth it. Just so you know, like, if you want to like, <laughs> don't waste your time. It's not a fad anymore. So it's not the cool thing to do anymore. So it's, and who has a free hour these days? Um, but if you defocus your eyes in a certain way, there is a 3D effect of sorts. And it, it's still the same like visual noise pattern. But the visual noise pattern is like, it's like texture mapped onto a, a 3D image of a dolphin. Yeah. It looks like in Photoshop when you take the tool that's like, copy this area and then just like recopy that over and over and over again. Oh, sure. It looks kind of like that mess. Right, because it's it's a repeating pattern. 
Yeah, unless, you know, except that if you squinted it for an hour, you might see a dolphin in that pattern, like kind of popping out from it. Right. This was also what we had for entertainment in the, in the 90s rather than the 80s. So, like, it improved over the course of a decade from the third finger trick to looking at these dolphins. That's right. That's a pretty big improvement. It is. It hadn't occurred to me that they're kind of the same thing, I guess. Uh, that's. I mean, that's why it came up, right? Yeah. So there's the whole thing about, like, you can't see your your brain disappears your own nose from oh, its yeah. visual field. Otherwise, you would, like, see your nose all the time. I mean, that's. I feel like that's just the brain being really good at ignoring everything. But, like, you can see your nose if you're, like, looking for it. Oh, yeah. I can, I can, I can look at my nose. I can look at it right now. This is why this should be a video podcast. Us <laughs> all looking at our noses, like <laughs> looking at our fingers. Yeah, we. I guess we didn't have that much entertainment back then. Yeah, and you can definitely have discourse about whether it's better for a person to be entertained literally all the time, or for them to have to like be bored and learn and, and sit with being bored and like. The, I mean, the purpose of being bored is to, like, kick you into, like, a, a mode where you're doing something interesting, right? Yeah. That's, that's what boredom is for. And so if you never feel boredom, then maybe you never learn to do that. And the reason that I think that we're going to be fine is that I hear Zoomers complain they're bored all the time. <laughs> okay. So apparently boredom still exists, so we don't have to worry about that. Excellent. That's fair. What did I do? What did we do? This has got to be one of those things that's like every age, you know, they're like, ah, fucking kids these days have access to literally hundreds of books at their local library. They're never bored. Like, what are we going to do? You know, it's, it's got to be one of those generational things. I did read a lot of Animorphs. I saw a Tumblr post a while ago where somebody was talking about, um, they made a meme that was like somebody was smoking their eyes sitting next to a fire. And then they move to the other side of the fire and it just flips the image and the smoke is now in their eyes on the other side of the fire. And another person commented about the fact that you could show this series of pictures to like Paleolithic man and they would also agree with the joke because that's just like an experience that they would have also had back then. Oh, sure. And then of course, science side of Tumblr jumped in to explain why the smoke follows you because it actually does. Okay. Yeah, something about how uh, if the fire without a person around it has equal access to airflow from all sides, but if you are sitting on a side, you are preventing as much access, which then causes the wind to blow more strongly. So instead of wind blowing from all directions, causing the fire to go up, you have blocked one side, which causes the wind from the other side to then blow into you, huh. or at least to make that more likely. Is that also why toast always falls butter side down? Yep, and also why cats land on their feet. <laughs> but yeah i just i don't know i thought it was cool the concept that like yes this actual series of images i mean i think they would be very confused as to how you got those images and how you were possibly showing it to them but like right, right. fundamentally they would get the joke right once they were once they were over looking at your your ipad yeah, <laughs> yeah then they'd be like oh funny meme yeah and and they had cave art they had like 2d art so that wouldn't be a barrier either okay so we ju you just need to draw it like cave art okay right well then you could bypass you could, you could just print out your ipad uh, image high quality cave art what is this little sheet here that's right you know oh yeah they wouldn't have paper no 
if you get one of those printers that just prints on the road and just wrote, run it over the cave wall. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. I thought you were going to say you need to like, first you install a highway system for them. <laughs> okay. That's a bit much. Biggest, flattest cave. You remember Chinese finger traps? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I also got those in the 90s. We used to... Get, okay, so, like, that's one thing, right? Kids these days. Kids these days, what do they get in their stockings? Like, what do they... Fortnite <laughs> gift cards? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, do they just get gift cards to, like, the Apple store? I was gonna, I was gonna make a joke about iTunes download codes, but yeah. even that's old. Yeah. Right. Like, we used to get, Wait, like... They get the URL for Spotify. I mean, we used to get like you know Rubik's cubes and and Chinese finger traps and magic eye puzzles and like just a bunch of like physical fun things. I can tell you that like incredibly cheaply made toys are still around. Yeah, yeah, you have a child. Yeah, they still they still give them to children at at parties. Okay. Okay, that's fair. I, I'm that's, I'm glad to hear that. I agree that like it's harder now to get. A, find a good stocking stuffer like one one of the things i used to love giving as a stocking stuffer is like a dvd like a movie Mm. or a cd and those just don't they don't make sense anymore we're in the process of moving getting rid of a bunch of stuff and so are our neighbors and they had a giant dvd collection and so they were marie condoing their dvd collection get going through it and getting rid of stuff and i was just like why are you keeping any dvds i don't yeah. I, I don't understand. And then they looked at us and said, why are you keeping any SNES games? Yeah. Uh-huh. We said, that's different. That's fair. That's right. <laughs> now, if you if they were collecting Laserdiscs, then it would be a different story. Sure. Honestly, I wouldn't knock them for that because that would be too weird. Even if it was a VHS collection. You just, you just wait 10 years and then a DVD collection will be retro. <laughs> they're, they're just ahead of the curve. I guess, yeah. VHSs. Ooh, the Chinese finger trap is a common metaphor for a problem that can be overcome by relaxing. Okay. Huh. Yeah, that is a good metaphor. I, I'm try- I went to Wikipedia to figure out if they were actually Chinese. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Like, is this one of those things where they just slapped a name on it? Like, fortune cookies? Right. What'd you learn? Uh, it doesn't address that at all. That's surprising. I am also surprised, yeah. In, in 1870, it was referred to as a girl catcher. Okay. Okay, so it's gotten a little bit better. <laughs> okay, because you, yeah, you tell them to stick their finger in, you have your finger in, and they can't get away because they're trying to pull away from you. And I, I think so, yeah. Oh, oh wait, the single-ended version. Uh, I'm sorry? Excuse me? It's like a magnetic monopole. How does that work? Uh, oh, is the other end just something that you pull on? You attach it to your dick. Must be. <laughs> that's a girl catcher, all right. Uh, apparently, they're made from bamboo, so that's probably why they're Chinese. Okay, okay. I guess. We also had, you know what we also had was sea monkeys. <laughs> okay. We, we didn't know. Fuck, let's fucking get into this shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know. That's one of those things. Where- I was I was ready for another topic, but no. We're no. Gonna, now we're talking about brine shrimp. That's right. They were they seemed like such a perfect gift, and you nobody knew that they were secretly incredibly racist. No, 
Sea monkeys are racist? Oh, yeah. Oh, that you don't even know. You There's don't even levels know. Levels of racism you can't even imagine. All right. All right. Let's hit hit me. Let's, let's, let's all find <laughs> out mean, together. The, the TLDR is that pretty much all of the money spent on sea monkeys went to its creator, who was super, super hunky-dory with the KKK and oh. gave them a lot of money. Okay. Okay, so the brine ship themselves, shrimp themselves, weren't racist. Just the guy selling them. Art was a little questionable. There is, like, historically, you know, using monkey as a slur has been a thing. So it's not, like, great, but I think everybody just assumed that was, like, unrelated because they have little tails they look kind of like monkeys but then when you go in the context of oh but they were made by a huge raging racist then you're like oh maybe it's not so good but um but yeah no this guy was like really quite clever at brand marketing another thing he made was like some kind of knife that you could shoot or something something ridiculous that was like very clearly a firearm but he was like no it's not a firearm in any way and kids you can just order it it's fine until the government had to like crack down on him and be like stop selling children firearms (laughs) and he was like no it's not a firearm it's just like an explosive knife or something but yeah no it turns out that the the creator of sea monkeys is just super racist and probably gave most of that money to the kkk apparently Harold von Braunhut, which who's probably the person you're talking about. Yep, that's the guy. Uh, apparently, also invented X-ray specs. Really? Yes, which did nothing. Right. Well, they they were printed with like an image of bones of hands on the lenses, so you could pretend to hold your hands in front of your face and see your bones. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Now, all of these, like, this is another just cultural touchstone that is completely lost. I'm sure. Like, all of these were sold. Out of ads in the back of comic books. Yeah. Like mail order. Right. You would beg your mom, I need to get the crazy crabs. Like x-ray specs, for example, became like a joke about buying something that is advertised as a thing. And then it's very, very much a disappointing version of like not even close to what you actually ordered. Yes. I mean, that got parodied in like The Simpsons and tons of other like pop culture references to you know or even with the sea monkeys like it's images of these like you know mer people living in their sea castles and then you're like this is a bunch of brine shrimp like you know so knowing that most of these weird false advertising sales to children thing all kind of came from this one dude who was pretty good at it <laughs> like yeah. or that he spearheaded a lot of them is kind of interesting yeah what was the name of his gun thing? Here's an ad for the Kyoga Steel Cobra. That's probably it. You don't need a gun. Yeah. Okay, this this looks like a telescoping baton, but I've definitely seen the Kyoga Agent M5 is another one. I'm trying to figure out like which is which and what each of them are. I had sea monkeys. Did you have sea monkeys? I never had them. I had them. I took good care of them. I even did the whole, like, you could do a sea monkey circus. I distinctly remember this, which was just put them in a little, in a room that was dark and leave them in there in the dark for like, I don't know, 15 minutes and then turn the lights on and they would all like flip out. 
Okay. Because the lights came on suddenly, and they okay. called that the Sea Monkey Circus. You could see them do circus tricks. Ah, I no, distinctly remember as a young child putting them in the downstairs bathroom of my parents' house because that was the only room that had no windows, turning the lights off, and then making my whole family line up to enter the circus show and gather into this tiny enclosed bathroom with the lights off and then flipping the lights on. Nice. So I was into my sea monkeys. That's pretty good. Yeah, no, the creator of Sea Monkeys has had such quotes as Hitler wasn't a bad guy, he just had bad press. Uh, he's apparently probably Jewish, though. He just likes Nazis a lot. I don't know. Weird dude. So I found an article in the Washington Post from 1988. The Kyoga Agent M5 is a self-defense weapon that has stirred controversy. Von Braunhut was arrested in 1979 in an illegal weapons charge in New York City for carrying the spring-coiled device. The charge was dismissed after a judge determined that a weapon did not require a license. I can't find anywhere a description of what this thing actually is, but I, looking at the ad, it looks like it is a baton that that like f- will fit in your pocket, but you push a button and it, it, it expands on a spring to like three feet long or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. So I think they were saying like, yeah, if you extend, it had a force enough that if you like extended this thing near somebody's eye, you know, you could like really hurt them <laughs> yeah it, it does look dangerous it looks like i, I don't know do you, do you remember in uh no country for old men when the the villain whose name i can't pronounce had uh it was like a pneumatic yeah it was just the pneumatic rod that you use to kill cattle i think yeah but he you know he'd use them to kill human cattle right yeah <laughs> the villain in old no country for old men had a kyoga <laughs> that he ordered off the back of a comic book that would yeah. be amazing. Yeah. Uh, this this website describes it as a spring-loaded rigid whip. What the fuck is a rigid whip? Other than a tongue twister. <laughs> Any, anybody who's played Bloodborne knows about the rigid whip. Yeah, or Soul Calibur 2, I guess. Uh, probably, yeah. Oh, yeah, that sword, sword. sword whip. Yeah. Uh, are we ready for another topic? Yeah, probably. Good idea. For this topic, we're going to be reading this poem... Outbreaks by Kitchen Somebody, Kitchen McKeown. Uh, did you want to read just the just the paragraph that you linked to, or did you want to read the whole poem? I was just going to read that paragraph. That's fine. It is good. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. How long is the whole poem? It's about five times as long as that paragraph. No, I'll read the whole poem. Okay. But preemptively, I'm going to tell people that the thing that drew me to this poem is the last paragraph. Yeah, the last like five lines. But I that is the part that I thought was really prescient. But I will read the whole poem. Uh Outbreaks by Kitchen McCune. Thank you for knowing how to pronounce that. I've known some McCunes, I think that's how you say it. I search for God, but the sun is a penny. Looper moths form halos beneath the street lamps. Summer's ghostly curtains check the weather. Haze. I search for God, but the moon is gone. I search for comfort, and the eels come. They cross my meadow every twilight, up to seven feet in length, traversing mountain napes with open, eager mouths. The fires heaved them from the rivers. Now they curve themselves across the precipice of life towards black oceans. Haunted yellow eyes. Looper moths become a gentle cloud. I become an eel. Then rethink it. I cough. Reveal a wet moth. Some gray little heart. It's all hazy now. 
Pale as sun-bleached wood, I go forth. In a slant of moonlight, I search for comfort. The neon 24-hour fried chicken sign gleams behind the pines. I crawl in the moss. It is easy to find God. She has a cluster of eels beneath my palms. I ask of her, am I doing any of this life right? And she, with her many mouths, says nothing. Who put these eels in my poem? (laughs) That's what I was thinking the whole time. I'm sorry. (laughs) Now I have to explain that joke. Yeah. Before we can talk about the poem. All right, go ahead. We were in Australia. There were eels in a pond. And there was a sign that said, who put these eels in our pond? Yes. It turns out, as described poignantly in this poem, actually, that uh, eels can do pretty good outside of water for a significant amount of time. Just flopping around. Yeah, the eels put themselves in the pond. They crawled from Sydney Harbor across a stretch of lawn into the pond. Pond had fish in it that they could eat. So they know the pond is there. Can they smell it? I have no idea, but the eels, they caught them on camera. They they saw them crawling across the grass in the dead of the night to sneak into the pond. So they said, we can't keep the eels out of the pond because... And they said, don't be distressed if you see an eel eat one of the ducklings. They just do that. This is Australia. Yeah. Don't be distressed. It's just Australia. No, let's go This better. poem describes eels crawling to a new location, which I think most people just don't realize that's a thing that eels do. Right. So that's why I was thinking that. But I'm going to reiterate that last line, the last chunk, which was, I crawl in the moss. It is easy to find God. She is a cluster of eels beneath my palms. I ask of her, am I doing any of this life right? And she, with her many mouths, says nothing. Yeah. No, and this is a, a portrait of someone who doesn't know what God is. And they're just like, they'll, they'll look at, like, I'm looking at this, this rusty button that says, Cuties Killing Video Games. Oh, there's God. Hey, God. Can you help me out here? <laughs> Am I doing this right, God? The button with its singular spring says nothing. <laughs> the button says, Cuties Killing Video Games. Okay, thank you for your insight. Yeah. I don't know. I just really like the line... I think when I first started reading just that paragraph, because I did not have the whole poem in the context of Tumblr, somebody had cut out that last bit. I think I thought that the direction that the line was going was, because it says, I crawl in the moss, it's easy to find God. And immediately my brain jumped ahead to the like idea of finding God in nature. Mm. Like, you know, it's easy to find God. Just look around at all the amazing things around you, which is something that, you know, I kind of jives with me as someone who really likes nature and going on hikes and stuff. And then it follows up with the line about it's a bunch of eels. And with its many mouths, it says it doesn't give me an answer. And I was and it it just kind of like, I think, pulled the carpet out from under my feet in a way that that stuck with me. Because that is also very poignant to be like, I feel like I have found God, like in this way. And yet, I'm not getting any answers from it, you know? It's right. Too- well, that's that's classic God. You know, you, you can talk to yeah. God, but God doesn't necessarily talk back. Right. Know. I mean, it has many mouths. Why? Put them to use, eels. The other thing I... <laughs> okay, the other thing I think about was, is have you given God a pizza? And I don't know if... <laughs> <laughs> I'm so chronically on Tumblr, it's bad. But have you seen the pizza eels? No. 
<laughs> okay, this is just e- eels eat pizza? Question mark. It's like a black pond. Is this the guy with the basement? No, this is not. This is not the guy with eels in his basement. That's a different eel. This is different pizza eels. Eels it's just eat like... pizza in this gross video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, there's a bunch of. <laughs> black eels in a pond and you can't quite tell what they are and your brain is like trying to figure out this cthulhu-esque mask and then a guy just chucks an entire large cheese pizza into the pile and then you can figure it out because you have some like it's not just black on black it's like black on pizza and so you can see their shape and their maws they just you know hundreds of eels devour this pizza that was my favorite scene from breaking bad (laughs) He throws it on. He throws the pizza into the giant swarming pit of eels that that he installed on the roof of yeah. But it's very. um, There's a sign in that neighborhood saying, "Please don't throw pizza on the eels," because all the Breaking Bad fans keep going to that neighborhood and throwing pizza on the eels, and they're getting real fat. Yeah. (laughs) But this is like when I imagine her like talking to the eels with their many mouths. I I just think of the pizza eels. And how badly I would love to throw a pizza to a pile of eels. I don't know. I think that would be delightful. Something about that whole vibe is very, like, memento mori. Like, you throw the pizza to the eels, but don't lose your footing, man. Because as soon as you go in the eels... Oh, yeah. I remember, like, I remember eating at a restaurant. It was like a a seafood restaurant, probably in Florida. There was, like, outdoor dining on a pier-like wooden structure. And there was this section in the middle where there was a railing around a square gap in the pier, and it was just full of fish writhing around in a huge pile huh. because people would throw their fucking their the food they weren't going to eat in that square of water. Yeah, that checks out. And you 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 throw your bread roll in there, and it instantly vanishes. Yeah. Kind of disturbing. Yeah, and that, that's like, yeah, you know, you you jump in there and you just die instantly. Yeah. We had another similar experience in Australia, which was um, I was snorkeling and they do a they feed the fish once a day off of the pier, and they sort of encourage you to like you can watch this from being while you're in the water if you want, and I did, and it attracted. Just an a lot of awful lot of sharks. Just an awful lot of sharks. Right, and they they feed the, what they feed the sharks is they feed they stuff a dive suit full of <laughs> fish. You know, I, it was mostly like I was mostly cool with it because I was kind of hiding behind like a pillar of the pier, but I did see a shark very nearly run over somebody who was watching it. They weren't like trying to bite them, but they like ran almost right into this other snorkeler um but yeah no not a fun place to be in the water actually it turns out watching this is way better from the surface most terrifying just kind of unpleasant under the water because you're really worried about your own well-being at that point that sounds like how i would be in the water yeah i'm just watching pizza eels on loop by the way oh yeah that's good it's a good uh backdrop for any conversation are we ready for another topic yeah. yeah. Uh, Alex, your topic is best food byproducts. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking about how much I enjoy, like, when I'm cooking something and that the cooking process creates a byproduct that I can also use to make something else. 
Oh yeah. Like, oh, or just eat. Feeling. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good too. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's, that's where my ranking system comes in. Right. Yeah. It's like you create a byproduct and you're like, yeah, I, I could eat that. That's, that's like a one pointer. But if it's like, Oh, I can make something else even better. That's, that's a lot of points. Cheese crunchies. You know, if you're melting any cheese, cheese in any way, <laughs> you're going to form cheese crunchies. And if you're a smart chef, you just eat those instead of allowing it to become part of the food. Yeah. You just eat the crunchy parts yourself. Yeah. That's what the the brainiacs do. That's big brain, big brain energy. That's right. This is because of aquafaba. Aquafaba, that was going to be number two on my list. I had three. Aquafaba is number two. You, You get the beans and you make a tasty bean dish with your canned beans. And like the suckers throw away the aquafaba. Uh huh. Latin for bean juice. It's also its own delight. It sounds so much better it in Latin. Sounds so much fancier when you call it aquafaba. It's good, yeah. Uh, we made aquafaba meringues, which are pretty tasty. Whoa! You can make vegan meringues that way, which was also impressive. Yeah. They're actually they're pretty good. They're pretty good. Shannon's way better at it than me. See, this is the problem: is he'll make he makes beans a lot, and his beans are delicious. That is a problem. But then there's cans of aquafaba yeah. or bean juice. Yeah. And he goes, should I save this bean juice so that you can make vegan meringues out of it? And I go, do you know how much work it is to make <laughs> meringues? And you have just been like, here's this. Here, you have to use this like today. You have to do this labor to make these meringues or else you're wasting this food. <laughs> so I've just started using bean juice instead of water. I mean, can you use a stand mixer? Like... I'm sorry, excuse me? You've been doing what with my food? I've been using bean juice instead of water in some of the recipes. Like what? <laughs> beans mostly. Lemonade? Beans mostly. <laughs> so, okay. So the beans are like, strain the bean juice off of the beans and put it in the water. And you're like, fuck that. I'm just going to put all the beans and the bean juice in. Yeah, why not? It's extra protein. Why do you think they tell you to do that? Because they're suckers. They they want me to waste perfectly good bean juice. What else have you been sneaking bean <laughs> juice into that I am unaware of? Um, I mean, meringues, I think, is pretty much the list for the moment. Okay, I'm safe. For now. It's extra protein, though. So what about the side effects of foods as you eat them? Like, I... What? Dorito dust. Oh. It's, it's good to cook with. Yeah. It's a good, it's a, Dorito dust is a good spice. You can't get it. You can't, like... Just get Dorito dust at, at the store. That's a shame. So what was your number one then? My number one is when you make cheese and you're left with the anti-cheese or whey, as they sometimes call it. And then uh-huh. you can make that into Brunost, which is just so good. It's, it's lying. It's, it's, it is so no. delicious. It's oh, brown cheese. Yeah. No, it's not. You cook the whey down and you I forget it you 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 don't you caramelize it except it's not technically caramelizing it. But you know, you brown the whey and it turns into like this delicious paste loaf that's like a little bit nutty. Um It becomes bad peanut butter. It's a little bit like a sweet peanut butter but very malty. Dang, this sounds good. Yeah, it's delicious. It's not. And it's so satisfying because you're like, I made two cheeses today out of one gallon of milk. It's great. 
One of my favorite things about Mexican food is that you can eat the Mexican food, and one of the byproducts is more Mexican food. Yeah, it just falls. It falls onto your plate, and then there's just another meal down there. Oh yeah, that's kind of true. Because like anything you have with Mexican food, you can slap that shit into a tortilla, and you have now you have a burrito. Uh huh. Yeah. Mexican food is so versatile. I, I love it. Is that the reason why when you go to the taco shop and you get the street tacos, they come with two tortillas? So you can peel the outer one off, you eat the first one, and half of the contents fall onto the plate. And then you have the second Oh, no, I, I legitimately do that on purpose. Uh, that's gave, sensible, yeah. I used to do that at um, El Griense. Yeah. I would get the super taco, and before I even started eating, I would peel that second guy off and put half of it into the other one. And I'm like, now I have two tacos, and I paid for one taco. That's brilliant. I'm so smart. It's brilliant. Oh, you two are from San Diego. I've heard rumors when I was doing my research for how to reproduce San Diego burritos. Okay. I found uh, rumors that the the guy who runs Belly in Oakland went to UCSD. Okay. Okay. And knows how to make a burrito. Okay. He does it right? S- supposedly. But then I was looking at the menu and I didn't see anything obvious. All right. I need to visit this place and, and do some exp- – and like just maybe I'll just ask the wait staff like – is there any truth to this rumor? Yeah. Give me the most San Diego thing you have. Yeah. They'll give you fries. They'll give me San Diego's. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't want a California burrito. I mean, I do, but that's not what I'm looking for. Yeah. yeah. So I went to, we went to San Diego for our wedding. I had a San Diego burrito thanks to you. Yes. Excellent. No, seriously, pretty much all of our wedding guests were like, just nonstop chatter in the Discord about where they were going to go to get good Mexican food while they were in San Diego. And all the non-San Diegans were like, I don't get it. Um, and we we ordered Vallarta's to the after party. We knew what was up. Yeah. But, um, but we went to my favorite place, which was Lolita's. And since I've lived in San Diego, I no longer eat uh, pork or beef just for whatever my own ethical environmentalist reasons. And my favorite thing at Lolita's was the two-in-one where they stick two taquitos inside of a burrito. Uh (laughs) Because why not? It's delicious. It's amazing. But it is, of course, uh, beef, carne asada. So I went there and I looked at the menu and I was so sad because I can't get a two-in-one. And then I saw on the menu that they had chicken taquitos and they had a chicken burrito. (laughs) So I asked them, will you make me a chicken two-in-one? Will you put two chicken taquitos into a chicken burrito? And they said, sure, we'll do that. And it was pretty fucking good. It was. And I was sitting there eating it. And then we also went to El Indio, the super, super old Mexican place with the unfortunately racist stereotype name and logo. Yeah. um, And got flautas there. And here was the thing that I think really unlocked San Diego why San Diego Mexican food is good to me. If you eat Mexican food up here, you will get a little itty bitty scoop of like high quality guac that has been clearly made from an actual like avocado and like a smattering of like shredded fresh cheese. So you get high quality ingredients, very, very little of it. Whereas in San Diego you will get a giant fucking slorp of green goop and a giant <laughs> mountain of like paper shredded cheese. And it's not high quality, but it there's so much of it and it's good. Like, you know, <laughs> it, it just 
I like these shitty ingredients. Yeah. They're just fucking good. Yeah. And you get so much of them. And I like every time I'm up here, I'm so disappointed with my tiny little pinch of guac that I have to somehow spread over my stuff. And in San Diego, it's like, here's a giant spoonful of, of it's not guacamole, it's glorpamole, but it's fucking delicious. It's true. So yeah, that's my that's my new take on San Diego burritos is that uh, sometimes things that are higher quality are worse. Hopefully the audience of this show isn't as sick of listening to people talk about San Diego burritos. I hope so. Because I'm going to keep doing it. (laughs) I I realized that like the tortilla is vitally important and even like less important than than what the tortilla is, is if they grill it, just grill the damn tortilla and it'll improve my enjoyment so much. And like, they don't do that up here. And it kills me. But also, if they're hand-making the tortillas on site for the tacos, that's, of course, next level. And that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Shannon, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I'm pretty tricky to find. Sneaky. sneaky. Good luck. You'll need it. And, Alex, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me in the Topic Lords Discord. All right. Thanks so much for being on. Thanks for having us. Anytime. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!